In January 2002, one man set out to accomplish what no other person had managed to do before, expose the truth of the Bohemian Club, a secluded, highly secretive, men-only club with headquarters in the Redwoods of California. On his quest, he bounded through the forest. His moniker, the Phantom Patriot, was painted in red across his chest. He wore a rubber skeleton mask to protect his identity. To protect his life, he wore a bulletproof vest. He was expecting resistance. He carried a shotgun-assault rifle hybrid, a sword, a pistol, a crossbow, a knife, and a homemade bomb launcher. What he wasn't prepared for was the dark when his flashlight went out. There was a reason the club made their home on a 2,700-acre, highly protected, private parcel of the Redwoods. They don't want to be found. But when morning came, the Phantom Patriot couldn't believe where he was. In the heart of the grove, a 30-foot stone owl stood before him. It was the center of their ceremonies. What atrocities were plotted or committed on these grounds? The blueprints for the atomic bomb, strategy for a new world order, pagan rituals, child abuse, and human sacrifice. They had to be stopped. So the Phantom Patriot set fire to their wreck hall. He was arrested shortly after, and his bail was set at $500,000. His real name? Richard McCaslin. The 37-year-old told reporters exactly what he was hoping to achieve. I felt if physical damage was inflicted upon them and it got enough attention, the American people would rise up. Welcome to Conspiracy Theories. Every Wednesday, we dig into the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events in search for the truth. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Molly Brandenburg. And neither of us are conspiracy theorists. But we are open-minded, skeptical, and curious. Don't get us wrong. Sometimes the official version is the truth. But sometimes it's not. You can find episodes of Conspiracy Theories for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. This is our first episode on the Bohemian Grove, home to the Bohemian Club, an exclusive secret gentleman's fraternity founded in 1872. Each July, the club hosts a two-week festival that could be described as a bacchanal for the world's most prominent and powerful men. This week, we'll explore what little we know about the club's founding and the events that take place inside the Grove. We'll also examine those men and women who continue to protest the club's existence, as well as the journalists and reporters who have desperately tried to gain entrance. Next week, we'll discuss some conspiracy theories surrounding the Bohemian Club. Were they responsible for the Manhattan Project, which developed the atomic bomb? Are they creating a new world order for global dominance? And do they actually practice human sacrifice? Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. 
The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The signs are posted everywhere. Private property, no trespassing, security cameras line the trees, metal gates block the road, guards man the outposts at all hours. The Bohemian Club has made one thing crystal clear. If you are caught on their land, they will have you arrested. And under United States law, they have every right to do so. But it's exactly this level of security and secrecy that has given rise to suspicion. What happens inside the Bohemian Grove? More importantly, why don't they want the world to know? Here is what we can say for sure. The Bohemian Grove is located in Monterio, California, just a couple miles north of San Francisco. It serves as home to the Bohemian Club, a more than 150-year-old secret fraternity. The property spans 2,700 acres and is located in the heart of the Redwood Forests. There are more than 100 different campsites on the grounds, all of which are situated around a central feature, a man-made lake. Watching over the lake is a shrine depicting a 30-foot stone owl, weathered from age. It sits atop a giant stone staircase nested in the trees and looms over an impressive fire pit. If you want to see the grounds for yourself, have your pocketbook ready, because joining the Bohemian Club is not cheap. The initiation fee alone was $25,000 in 2009, and that's before your annual dues. But money alone won't gain you entry. In order to be considered, you must be recommended by a number of its members, lest your name be relegated to the waitlist, which is rumored to be 15 years long. And of course, you're going to need to be a man. Today, there are somewhere around 2,500 members, some of which are allowed to bring guests of note. We think you'll be familiar with many of the club's members and guests. Names on the list include Hearst, Roosevelt, Eastwood, Twain, Bush, Cronkite, Cheney, Crosby, London, 
Reagan, Nixon, Ford, Muir, Powell, Rumsfeld, Schwab, Hoover, Scalia, and Kissinger. Membership is so difficult to secure that rumor has it, even our current sitting president, Donald Trump, has never been invited. In order to get a sense of just how far the club has come, let's travel back to its founding in San Francisco in 1872. In the late 19th and early 20th century, bohemianism was trending in a big way. A bohemian lifestyle means taking pleasure in art, revelry, and hedonism, and is often associated with frugality, impoverishment, and an anti-establishment worldview. The Bohemians were actors, writers, painters, and musicians who prided themselves on being untethered to worldly possessions. Some might call them hipsters or hippies. In theory, Bohemians were often spiritual. In practice, however, they worshipped indulgence. In 1872, in a dimly lit room in San Francisco, a group of bohemian journalists began hosting gatherings for other like-minded men interested in the arts. But it was mostly an excuse to imbibe while raging against the conservative politics of the day. It wasn't long before their revelry caught the attention of other bargoers, men who saw the good time they were having and asked to partake. Though these new attendees loved hedonism, they shared little else with the Bohemians. Their pockets were lined with money. But why turn them away, especially if they were going to foot the bill? The Bohemian artists dubbed their new friends men of use and referred to themselves as men of talent. The names seemed to suggest a hierarchy of priorities. Talent came first. Money was a systemic convenience, and they were happy to manipulate the system. But whatever their priorities were, they seemed to shift as the Bohemians realized just how much money can actually buy. Their parties became more lavish and, in turn, more desirable. And nothing fuels desire more than exclusivity. You always want what you can't have. So the club became more selective and raised their barrier for entry. Sometime around 1887, entrance fees were set at $100 a person, the equivalent of around $2,700 today. Monthly dues were the equivalent of $90. The club seemed to shed all of their bohemian ideals except one, their love of partying. And by 1893, they started renting a portion of the Redwood Forest from the Sonoma Lumber Company to use as a getaway. In 1901, they purchased 160 acres. That parcel of land would eventually expand to the 2,700 acres that it is today. That's 4.2 square miles, more than three times the size of New York Central Park. Nested within those forested acres are a number of different subcamps. The most important are the main gathering areas, the Grove Stage, a 2,000-seat outdoor amphitheater, the Campfire Circle, a large fire pit surrounded by benches carved from redwoods, the Clubhouse, a multi-purpose entertainment and dining facility. 
and of course, the heart of it all, the Owl Shrine and the lake. The facilities only account for a small portion of the Grove's land. Members and guests are free to roam about the forested grounds and lose themselves amongst the trees. There, within the freedom of the forest, far from witness or worry, the debaucheries of the Bohemian Club could become legend. And as the mythos grew, it piqued the interest of some powerful figures. In the early 20th century, attendees started to include men like President Herbert Hoover, and as more attention was paid to the Grove, the club's privacy measures only increased. The press became a distinctly unwelcome guest. All forms of cameras, videos, or tape recordings were banned. Everything that happened in the Grove went entirely off the record. Its members and guests were sworn to secrecy. By 1930, a total media blackout began. And even the official story becomes hearsay. Except for financial records. Thanks to the group's status as a 501c7 social organization, meaning they're actually exempt from federal taxes, their finances have to be available to the public. And those records highlight the irony of the group's bohemian roots. As we've said, the entrance fee is currently set to $25,000. But in 2017, the Bohemian Club's total revenue was just shy of $10 million. Their total assets were more than $20 million. And that's what was reported to the IRS. It's interesting to note that their numbers have remained suspiciously consistent over the years. In 2011, their total revenue was $10 million, and their assets were $18 million. You'd expect peaks and dips as the economy flows and ebbs, but the Bohemian Club's official holdings remain suspiciously steady. And when CEOs, CFOs, and financial executives like billionaire Charles Schwab are members of the club, some question what wealth the Bohemians are hiding overseas or what tax breaks they're able to secure. After all, some of them helped pen the laws. Apart from these financial records, everything else we know is thanks to a few brave men and women who risked their freedom to infiltrate the Bohemian Grove. And some have faced dire consequences for uncovering the secrets. Coming up, the Bohemian Club's bizarre rituals are revealed. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. 
the luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. Now back to the story. Since its founding in 1872, the Bohemian Club has strayed from some of its frugal anti-establishment ideals. Their private campsite in the Redwood Forest of Monterio, California, is known as The Grove. It has become a getaway for the world's wealthiest and most influential men, billionaires, politicians, and Hollywood elites. The Bohemian Club's largest festivities happened every July over two weeks. But with a media blackout starting sometime around the 1930s, little is known about what actually happens inside the Grove. Naturally, people have become curious. Some curious enough to risk life and limb. For 50 years, almost no attention was paid to the Grove. The only outsiders allowed inside its gates were employees and the all-male staff members were sworn to secrecy and relegated to designated work areas like kitchens and laundry rooms, hidden from sight. Then, in 1980, Mary Moore, a local resident of Monterio, began to question what was really going on in her backyard. The existence of the Bohemian Club isn't a secret to locals. Many Monterio residents are employed to staff their events, but all are sworn to secrecy, and few play an active role in their festivities. But when word reached Mary of the caliber of men who were convening in the Grove, she began to have questions. In Mary's words, when powerful people work together, they become even more powerful. They're wealthy and becoming more so, while the middle class is steadily becoming poorer. They control the markets, and they make money whichever way the markets fluctuate. Essentially, Mary saw the secrecy of the Bohemian Club as an assault on democracy. With so many elected officials in the Grove, the American people had a right to know what conversations were happening, and if those conversations were affecting public policy. When she couldn't get any answers, she took action. She founded a group called the Bohemian Grove Action Network, which worked on a bit of reconnaissance. Mary convinced Grove employees to secretly bring her materials, like programs and membership lists. Her house became filled with knickknacks and pamphlets. Anything she could get her hands on from the club, she kept. They were all pieces to a larger story. And the more she learned, the more worried she became. The names on the membership lists were astonishing. So much so that the Bohemian Grove Action Network began organizing protests. At some of her largest demonstrations, hundreds of people joined her at the gates of the Grove. She brought unwanted attention to the club. Press started to take notice, and suddenly more people got curious. Allegedly, a journalist from Time magazine tried to infiltrate the Grove, disguised as a waiter, possibly with Mary Moore's help. 
The story, however, never ran. Then, in 1989, a reporter for Spy magazine named Philip Weiss managed to sneak into the Grove. He published an article titled Masters of the Universe Go to Camp Inside the Bohemian Grove based on his experience. Weiss arrived in the camp to witness what is known as a lakeside talk. Every afternoon during the two-week July event, one of the club's members addresses other members about a topic in their field of expertise. Generally, the talks cover politics, the economy, and business. Weiss heard a speech delivered by General John Chain. At the time, Chain was the commander-in-chief of the United States Strategic Air Command, an organization in charge of two of the three factions of the military's strategic nuclear forces. Chain lobbied club members to help fund a B-2 aerial bomber program. And whether it was thanks to his lakeside talk or not, we know it got funded. In fact, the same year he gave his talk, an estimated $23 billion were spent on the program. Over time, that number would increase to $45 billion. The gravity of Chain's speech was contrasted by some of the more fraternal behavior Weiss witnessed. Drinking scotch, smoking cigars, chugging beer, and perhaps most famously, urinating wherever they pleased. In 1991, a reporter for People magazine named Dirk Matheson also snuck inside the grove. He observed as much as he could before he was forcibly removed from the property. Allegedly, his story was meant to run on August 5, 1991, but it never hit the press. The piece was killed by an editor. It's worth mentioning that executives of Time Warner, the company that owned People, happened to be members of the Bohemian Club. Weiss's limited account seemed to be as good as it was going to get. Until... In July 2000, a talk show radio host and conspiracy theorist of dubious reputation, Alex Jones, infiltrated the Grove. He even managed to film one of their biggest rituals, the cremation of care. Jones's camera was hidden inside a shoulder bag. He'd cut a hole for the lens. Using the group's numbers to his advantage, around 1,500 drunk men, he managed to blend in. It didn't hurt, of course, that he was a white man of average height and build, like nearly all the members and invited guests. The footage he recorded shows what resembles a pagan ceremony, and it happens in the heart of the grove at sunset, most members sit and watch. One man, known as the High Priest, leads the ceremony. He wears a silver robe and a red cape. With him are roughly 20 or so men dressed in black and red robes. Many hold torches. The High Priest's voice is broadcast to you through speakers all around. He begins with the words... The owl is in his leafy temple. Let all within the grove be reverent before him. Lift up your heads, O ye trees, and be ye lift up, ye ever-living spires. For behold, here is Bohemia's shrine, and holy are the pillars of this house. 
Weaving spiders come not here. Weaving spiders come not here. That's the motto in the grove, the creed, the testament. Leave business at home. The high priest continues as a live orchestral symphony fills the air. The music becomes a score for the ceremony, punctuating the words to lift up their meaning. And it all crescendos into one moment, the climax, where a group of men drag out the figure of a man in a coffin and set it on fire. He is their effigy. The man is not alive. It's not even flesh. It's a metal skeleton wrapped in paper. The effigy's name, according to members of the Bohemian Club, is Care. And as the flames of Care and his coffin rise up to light the face of the stone owl behind them, a song is sung. The lyrics go, No fire, no fire, no fire. Let it be kindled in the world where Care is nourished on the hates of men and drive him from this grove. One flame alone must light this fire, One flame alone must light this fire, a pure eternal flame, a pure eternal flame, a last within the lamp of fellowship upon the altar of Bohemia. As the ceremony comes to a close, someone cries, Be gone, detested care. Once again, midsummer sets us free. And fireworks erupt, lighting up the sky above the lake. And then the festivities, the revelry, and the madness really begins. Coming up, the Bohemian Club's known ties to the Supreme Court and the Oval Office. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Now until May 12th, get up to 30% off personalized jewelry, style, decor, and so many other items mom will love. And if you want her to know you put a ton of thought into her present, use Gift Mode. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting so you can easily find well-crafted, original, and affordable pieces from small shops. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about mom, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated ideas based on hundreds of personas. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. Now, back to the story. Most of what we know about the secret Bohemian Club is thanks to the brave individuals who have managed to infiltrate its seemingly impenetrable grove. Occasionally, the odd photo or program might find its way to the public after a member dies and their mementos exchange hands. 
But not every recon mission has been as successful as the one that led to Alex Jones's video of the cremation of care ceremony in 2000. We opened the episode with the story of Richard McCaslin, or the Phantom Patriot, who snuck into the Grove in 2002. He was arrested and sentenced to 11 years in prison, not only for trespassing, but also for arson. He set their rec hall on fire while openly carrying a number of weapons. We should mention that McCaslin considers himself a real-life superhero, a la the graphic novel Watchmen. His other beliefs include the notion that President Obama's ancestors were ancient reptilian aliens. But while McCaslin may not find much support in all of his opinions, he's certainly not alone in his belief that the Bohemian Grove is hiding something. Nor was he the first or the last to get arrested for sneaking inside. In July 2008, a reporter for Vanity Fair was arrested for snooping on the Bohemian Grove property. He claimed he was writing a story about the Bohemian Club's ethical treatment of the Redwoods. He believed they might have been cutting down the legally protected trees. In January 2011, reporters for History Channel's Decoded were arrested for trespassing. Allegedly, they were held on bail for nine hours before being released. Other attempts at infiltration have been virtual. Hackers have retrieved photos from emails of club members like Colin Powell. In 2012, Occupy Bohemian Grove protesters gathered at its front gates. In response, dozens of police in riot gear lined the entrance to prevent anyone from going inside. Dogs patrolled the perimeter. After a speech from activist Cindy Sheehan, one of the protesters, an elderly man, got into a heated argument with a police officer. He was struck down, handcuffed, and arrested. But sometimes it's the quieter forms of protest that make the biggest impact. To this day, 84-year-old Mary Moore collects all the information that she can get her hands on from employees. And largely through Mary's efforts, we've been able to piece together some of what happens every July in the Redwoods behind her house, including programs of the Lakeside Talks from years past. Well, because we don't know the exact content of each talk, a lot of inferring needs to happen. All we have to go on is the date, the name of the speech, and the person who delivered it. But in many cases, connecting the dots isn't exactly difficult. In 1997, four years before 9-11, the former director of the CIA, James Woolsey, delivered a speech. It was called Rogues, Terrorists, and Two Weimars Redux, National Security in the Next Century. That same year, Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia delivered a speech called Church, State, and the Constitution. In 2004, talks included did terrorists expect the World Trade Towers to fall, the long war of the 21st century, and the coming virtual soldier? In 2005, the case for immigration restriction, nuclear considerations, the way ahead, and dark energy in the runaway universe. 
In 2011, the founder of Fox News Channel, Rupert Murdoch, delivered a talk named The Future of News. Years later, political discourse became dominated by fake news and its impact on the democratic process. These speeches were made by governors, secretaries of state, biologists, economists, doctors, presidential advisors, professors, businessmen, generals, and admirals, all at the top of their fields. The club has allegedly stopped printing materials to prevent their talks from leaking. We may never know what was said or what will be said. And for individuals like Mary Moore, that's exactly the problem. The titles alone indicate that the discussions affect the future of every American, and in many cases, every citizen of the world. And that's before we get to speeches made by the United States presidents. Sitting presidents don't usually visit the Grove while they're in office. Taking two weeks off from leading a country to burn effigies, enact rituals, and get drunk in the woods might say, draw unwanted attention from the press. So, presidents usually appear before they are elected, and in some cases, right before. Don't take our word for it. Take Richard Nixon's. If I were to choose the speech that gave me the most pleasure and satisfaction in my political career, It would be my lakeside speech at the Bohemian Grove in July 1967. In many important ways, it marked the first milestone on my road to the presidency. It appears that the Bohemian Grove has a history of setting presidents on their path to power, even if it's just planting the seed of an idea. In 1995, George Bush Sr. allegedly introduced his son to the Bohemian Club, He told them that George W. would make a great president one day. In fact, apparently except for Donald Trump, every Republican president since 1923 has appeared at the Grove. And most, if not all of them, before they were ever elected. Which has individuals like Mary Moore asking, who actually chooses the leader of the free world? If one thing is clear about the Bohemian Club, it's that it's not what one would call a bipartisan institution, nor a diverse one. Its demographics are almost exclusively wealthy, white, conservative men. But to be clear, it doesn't have to be bipartisan or diverse. It's a private social club. It's not public, and it's not a branch of government, at least on the surface and according to the IRS. And as such, they can include and exclude whomever they see fit. But that hasn't stopped them from getting taken to court. In 1978, the Bohemian Club was sued for discrimination by the California Department of Fair Employment and Housing. Not because they wouldn't allow women in the club, but because they refused to hire female employees. The club fought tooth and nail against the case. Why? Because the Bohemian Club believed that having women on site would impact the behavior of their members, most notably their freedom to, quite literally, urinate wherever they pleased. 
The act of peeing on trees is, for whatever reason, incredibly important to the club's culture. So important that they fought the case all the way to the California Supreme Court. Ultimately, the judge ruled in favor of the Department of Fair Employment and Housing. The Grove was forced to hire female staff members. Allegedly, this was treated as something of a running joke. The women would still be, quote, where they belonged, meaning in the kitchen and dining areas, which, if true, says quite a bit about the values that the club upholds. And the values they promote seem to give the most rise to conspiracy theories. For instance, we know that the motto of the Bohemian Club is Weaving Spiders Come Not Here. It's a line from Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream. At face value, it means don't bring your outside concerns and business to the Grove. But if that's the case, it almost seems to be in direct contrast to the types of conversations that are actually happening during the Lakeside Talks. And if business isn't meant to be conducted in the Grove, why did Ernest Lawrence, J. Robert Oppenheimer, and other so-called fathers of the atomic bomb hold meetings at the Grove in September 1942? immediately before the notorious Manhattan Project that led to the creation of the atomic bomb began. Well, then there's the pageantry, the theatrics of it all. The bizarre, seemingly pagan cremation of care ceremony aside, theater plays an integral role in their gathering every year. There are two types of theater, hijinks and lowjinks. Hijinks are the more grand, elaborate pieces, like what's known as the Grove Play. Lojinks are smaller, less complex productions. But high or low, members of the club commit themselves to writing, rehearsing, and performing original works of theater, many of which fall under the category of satire. In fact, theater plays such an integral role that there's apparently a jinx committee on their board of directors. That committee chooses one musical and one non-musical piece to perform each year. In order to fill female roles, the men dress in drag. Jack London, author of books like Call of the Wild and White Fang, allegedly wrote one of the Grove plays. His was titled The Acorn Planter, a California forest play. Others include The Valley of the Moon, Red is the Grass, the triumph of Bohemia, and the owl and care. And they aren't low budget. In 1975, the Grove play cost somewhere between twenty dollars and $30,000, the equivalent of around $140,000 today. And then there's the drunken stupors, the revelry, the peeing, the bacchanal. In a sense, the Bohemian Grove is a bunch of middle-aged men acting like frat boys at a cake party. Which is all well and good, but you have to remind yourself that, in many ways, these are the men that effectively run a large portion of our world. In some cases, the men who could quite literally end it at the press of a button. Supposedly, they're there to party. Maybe one night they black out from drinking and fall asleep with a cigar in their mouth. And the next day, around lunchtime, they're sitting in bleachers in the heart of the grove, listening to a speech about the fate of our world as we know it. It doesn't add up. And that's not all. 
The group has a patron saint, supposedly the embodiment of their ideals, Saint John of Nepomuk, a Christian priest who lived in the 1300s and heard the confessions of the Queen of Bohemia. Bohemia here refers to an old name for the Czech Republic, not Bohemianism, the concept. According to legend, John of Nepomuk refused to relay to the king what the queen had confessed to him. As a result, the king had him drowned. John was willing to die to protect her secrets. In the grove, there's a statue of St. John carved into one of the trees. He's raising his finger up to his lips, telling all the members of the club to keep their mouths shut about what they see and hear. And then there's the owl, a 30-foot symbol that looms larger than any Christian symbol on their grounds. Which could mean a number of things. Owls are a symbol of knowledge and learning, often associated with the Greek goddess of wisdom, Athena. It's also a creature of the night, a bird of prey with the ability to see in the dark. It also happens to be the personal emblem of a man named Adam Weishaupt. If the name sounds familiar, it's because in 1776 he founded his own secret society, and he called it the Illuminati. And the Illuminati aren't the only secret society that has been linked to the Bohemian Club. In fact, they share a number of members with one of America's most famous, the Skull and Bone Society. A society that has become almost synonymous with power and secrecy. And it's the secrecy of the Bohemian Club that has given rise to a number of theories regarding what's really happening in the depths of the Grove, including murder, sex work, Satanism, and child abuse. We've weeded through all of them and selected the three most prominent to discuss next week. Theory number one. The Bohemian Club practices paganism and sacrifices real, live humans, possibly to Satan himself. Theory number two. It's not a club at all, but a secret society using their power, influence, and an invisible hand to try and create a new world order. Theory number three. The Bohemian Club members are responsible for the creation of the atomic bomb, and they hold the keys to the destruction of our planet. Paganism, billionaires, Christianity, drag, bohemianism, effigies, owls, Shakespeare. The Grove and its club are a peculiar cocktail. We only know some of its ingredients, and we can only imagine how each one goes together. Not to mention what happens when you take a sip. On September 13th and 14th, 1942, a meeting took place in a river clubhouse in the Redwood Forests of California. The hosts were J.R. Oppenheimer, a chemist from the University of California Physics Department, and E.O. Lawrence from the UC Radiation Lab. In attendance were James Conant, the president of Harvard University, Lyman Briggs, the director of the National Bureau of Standards, Igar V. Murphy, the director of the Standard Oil Company, Arthur H. Compton, a representative from General Electric, and a lieutenant and a major from the United States Army. 
Over the course of two days, they planned a new government venture, one that would cost the United States, Canada, and the United Kingdom the equivalent of almost $30 billion. Research and development for the program would take place in 30 different laboratories and centers across the world. The meeting was the earliest stage of the Manhattan Project, the initiative responsible for the creation of the first nuclear weapons. And just three years later, on August 6th and 9th, 1945, the United States of America dropped atomic bombs on the Japanese cities of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Hundreds of thousands of civilians lost their lives on impact. Tens of thousands more perished in the days to come from burns, radiation poisoning, and other side effects. But few know that it's all rumored to have started in one place, the Bohemian Grove. Welcome to Conspiracy Theories. Every Wednesday, we dig into the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events and search for the truth. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Molly Brandenburg. And neither of us are conspiracy theorists. But we are open-minded, skeptical, and curious. Don't get us wrong. Sometimes the official version is the truth. But sometimes it's not. You can find episodes of Conspiracy Theories for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. This is our second episode on the Bohemian Grove, the headquarters for the Bohemian Club, an invite-only, all-male, secret fraternity of some of the most influential and powerful men in the world. Every July for two weeks, they gather in the Redwood Forests. What exactly happens there, we may never know. Last week, we explored what little we've learned about the Grove and the club that calls it home. But the more we find out about the Bohemian Club, the less things seem to make sense. This week, we'll discuss a few of the leading conspiracy theories surrounding the Bohemian Club. Conspiracy theory number one. The Bohemian Club practices paganism and sacrifices real, live humans possibly to Satan himself. Conspiracy theory number two. It's not a club at all, but a secret society that uses their power, influence, and an invisible hand to try and create a new world order. Conspiracy theory number three. The Bohemian Club members are responsible for the creation of the atomic bomb, and they hold the keys to the destruction of our planet. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. 
Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Rule number one of the Bohemian Club. You do not talk about the Bohemian Club. Rule number two of the Bohemian Club. You do not talk about the Bohemian Club. St. John of Nepomuk is carved into one of the redwood trees in the Bohemian Grove. He's raising a finger to his lips to tell all who enter, what happens there stays there. In life, John of Nepomuk died keeping the sins of the Queen of Bohemia a secret. And presumably, anyone who wants to play in the grove or get inducted into the club should be willing to die to keep its secrets safe. Which is why, when it comes to the Bohemian Club, we only know so much. We are on the outside, looking in. (laughs) And from what we can see, it appears to be a waking fever dream. 2,000 or so of our planet's most influential men running through the redwood forests, drinking whiskey and beer, putting on plays, dressing in drag, carrying out rituals, smoking cigars, peeing on trees, and discussing the future of our world as we know it. A lot happens in the Grove. But that leaves the question of how far they take their revelry, and whether it crosses the line into violence, murder, or even human sacrifice as part of a pagan ritual. And that's our first conspiracy theory, that they're killing people. In order to talk about conspiracy theory number one, we should discuss what paganism actually means. It's not as clear-cut as you might think. Generally, paganism isn't defined by what it is, but by what it's not. It's a term that encompasses any beliefs that fall outside the major world religions. It first appeared in the 4th century as a pejorative term used by Christians to describe polytheists, those who believed in more than one god. It was essentially synonymous with uncivilized. Today, the word pagan conjures different imagery depending on who you talk to. It applies to Wiccans, Satanists, Shamanists, as well as atheists and agnostics. The beliefs of pagan religions vary widely but many share a couple commonalities, including recognizing the divine in nature, equality and fluidity amongst genders, the importance of music, and a lack of official doctrine or formal institution. In general, the ethos of most pagan religions can be summarized as, if it harms no one, then do what you will. But accusations regarding paganism in the Bohemian Club are much more sinister than do no harm. And those accusations likely stem from the club's cremation of care ritual. To recap a little of what we covered last week, the ceremony is the kickoff event to the Bohemian Club's festivities every summer, led by a man known as the High Priest. He wears a silver robe and a red cape. With him are 20 or so men dressed in black and red robes holding the torches. The ceremony takes place at sunset in the heart of the grove in front of a 30-foot statue of an owl. The entire event is underscored by a live symphony. 
the high priest opens with the words. The owl is in his leafy temple. Let all within the grove be reverent before him. And the ceremony ends by burning an effigy that they call care. It's a paper and wire construction made to resemble the figure of a human. And as they burn care, the attendees sing, a pure eternal flame, a pure eternal flame, at last within the lamp of fellowship upon the altar of Bohemia. Then they shout, be gone, detested care. Once again, midsummer sets us free. Finally, fireworks are set off above the lake. Immediately following the ceremony, the members of the Bohemian Club run amok, celebrating and drinking. The after-party has been described as a bacchanal, which is an ancient celebration of the Roman deity Bacchus, the god of wine, ecstasy, ritual madness, and theater. But the similarities between the cremation of care and polytheistic religions don't stop there. The Bohemian Club also seems to incorporate some very specific elements of pagan belief. First of all, the location. They gather in the redwood forests. They are in and among nature, away from society and showing reverence to the woods. As evidenced by the high priest's words, Lift up your heads, O ye trees, and be ye lift up, ye ever-living spires. For behold, here is Bohemia's shrine, and holy are the pillars of this house. Then there's the drinking, the ecstasy, the theatrics, the ritual madness. But the most convincing evidence is their use of what could be considered false idols, like the owl. As they say, let all the grove be reverent before him. And midsummer. Well, they continue. Once again, midsummer sets us free. Yes, midsummer here is a nod to the bard. But what Shakespeare was referencing, and by extension, the Bohemian Club as well, is the pagan holiday of midsummer. Ritual celebrations of the summer solstice have been happening since the Stone Age, more than 4,000 years ago. Then, of course, there's the burning of the effigy, the ritual sacrifice, a symbolic spiritual offering to the forest, to the owl. It's all very pagan. But there's also a Christian idol in the grove, St. John of Nepomuk. His symbolic presence tells everyone who enters, keep quiet. On the other hand, that's still just one of their many idols, and worshiping false idols goes against Christianity. It's spelled out blatantly in the Ten Commandments. Even without those similarities to other faiths, we'd be able to say that what happens in the Bohemian Grove is, by its very definition, pagan. Again, paganism is any belief system that doesn't fit the major world religions, And the opening ceremonies, while ritualized, are certainly not Christian, Islamic, Jewish, Hindu, or Buddhist. Well, based on what it's not, sure. But some might argue that our definition of paganism is a bit broad. And Bohemian Grove celebrations stand in contrast to common pagan values. You could make the argument that getting drunk and peeing on trees seems in contrast to respecting nature. Or you could see their urination as a return to nature, to man's more primal, natural instincts. 
The key word here being man. Gender fluidity is another thing that the Bohemian Club does not share with other pagan religions. Women are not welcome in the Grove. As we covered last episode, they were willing to fight the Department of Fair Employment and Housing all the way to the Supreme Court to ensure women stayed out of their club. But they embrace gender fluidity when they perform in their plays. They do drag. The Bohemian Grove's practices most certainly point to a pagan cult. On the other hand, we know that members of the Bohemian Club, outside of the Grove at least, are overwhelmingly conservative and Christian. Antonin Scalia, Bush, Nixon, Reagan, Rumsfeld, to name just a handful. But paganism was only part of conspiracy theory number one. There's also the question of whether they worship Satan and perform real human sacrifice. And a bone-chilling story from a young man in 1990 might confirm both those elements. Coming up, damning testimony links the Bohemian Club to Satan, human sacrifice, and a child sex ring. Now, back to the story. Worship of strange idols, reverence for nature, arcane ceremony, music, drag, drinking, revelry, anarchy, and the burning of an effigy called care, all happening inside the Bohemian Grove for the past century. While all those are confirmed, conspiracy theorists suggest the club has a connection to Satan and human sacrifice. The notions likely spawned from the Bohemian Club's very loose connection to the Illuminati. They both share a symbol, the owl. And the Illuminati, as well as many other secret societies, have long been charged with worshipping the devil. But let's take a moment to unpack what that really means. In the book of Genesis, Satan tempts Eve with a forbidden fruit. He promises that it will make her and Adam more like God. It will rid them of ignorance, imbue them with self-awareness, and set them apart from the animal kingdom. It would literally put them on the path towards becoming gods themselves. The fruit then leads to original sin and all of humanity's problems. Except, according to Satanists, the Bible's version of the story is skewed. When Satan offered the fruit to Eve in the Garden of Eden, it wasn't a temptation to evil. It was a favor. He was giving humanity power, the power to take control of their own destiny. The difference is a matter of perspective and blame. Is our species better with God keeping us in check or striking out on our own? Your interpretation of Satanism will probably depend on your own personal circumstances. If you're doing well, you might owe it to the devil. He's the one responsible for making you special, like a god. If you're not, you might blame him for cursing you or taking you away from God and paradise, which is likely why Satanism is often associated with the elite. We should note that modern ethical Satanism has little to do with literal devil worship. Most view the Bible and its characters as metaphors. Satanists celebrate humanity's symbolic ability to break free of restrictive religious principles and seek knowledge and freedom. 
and they don't practice human sacrifice. Right. Comparatively little is known about people who actually worship the devil as a literal being. Most stories about genuine Satanists are rumors and conjecture. In those tales, human sacrifice is quite common, but they're usually just speculation. As for the Bohemian Grove, we have an eyewitness. In 1990, Paul Bonacci gave a written testimony to his lawyer, John DeCampo. The following is a redacted excerpt. In the summer of 84, in or on July 26th, I went to Sacramento, California. We were driven to an area that had big trees. It took about an hour to get there. There was a cage with a boy in it. We'll spare you all of the excruciating details that follow. Paul, who was 16 at the time, described being forced at gunpoint to engage in unimaginably gruesome sexual activities with two other underage boys. There were men in the room with them. One proceeded to rape the boy in the cage, then killed him with a gunshot to the head. Paul continued, His blood was all over us. Everything was filmed. One said the men with the hoods would take care of the body for them. According to Bonacci's lawyer, he later added that the men with the hoods were a satanic group and that they planned to use the dead boy in some sort of ceremony. On the night described in his testimony, Bonacci was quite possibly in the Bohemian Grove, but he had no idea at the time. He didn't even know what the Bohemian Grove was. Later, he and his lawyers put it together through the details of his testimony. The length of the trip, the trees, the cabins, the types of men who were allegedly involved. It was enough to ensure Bonacci never returned to the grounds again. But if he was in the Bohemian Grove and there was a satanic group of hooded men willing to dispose of a body, that's incredibly damning evidence, which would mean that conspiracy theory number one has serious weight behind it. But the testimony was never used in any case to implicate the Bohemian Club or its members. Maybe it wasn't strong enough, or maybe the Bohemian Grove was peripheral to a much larger, much darker conspiracy, a sadistic, pedophilic sex cult. In order to detail the intricacies of Bonacci's case, we would need an entire episode. He was part of an effort to take down a major child prostitution ring with powerful figures involved. It's all too complicated and upsetting to get into here, but as the case relates to the Bohemian Grove, there are a few things we need to consider. First, this is the only story we have of anything like this happening in the Grove, which means that we can't establish a pattern. But that doesn't mean there isn't one. There are a number of other witnesses who are able to corroborate many aspects of Bonacci's accounts, but no one can confirm all of them. One thing is for sure, though. He experienced an incredible amount of trauma. Later in his life, Bonacci was diagnosed with multiple personality disorder, which, depending on your viewpoint, either undermines or supports his statements. 
like it or not, mental health diagnoses impact the American judicial system. Many times for the worst, they can destroy the credibility of a witness. That being said, there are some important questions surrounding Bonacci's credibility, not all of his stories add up. And the victim of child sexual abuse later became the abuser. He was arrested in 1989, which naturally calls into question the character of the witness. But it should be noted that Bonacci won a 1999 case against Lawrence King, the head of the Franklin Community Credit Union in Omaha, Nebraska. Bonacci was awarded $1 million for mental and physical injuries that were attributed to King's physical and sexual abuse. So, was the boy in the cage murdered as part of a satanic ritual? Did he become the human effigy of care in the summer of 1984? Bonacci's testimony said, One said the man with the hoods would take care of the body for them. The men with the hoods were a satanic group. If Bonacci's testimony is true, it doesn't necessarily mean that the entire Bohemian Club knew what was happening in one room of their 2,700-acre grounds, or that they would have approved of such activities. It could have just been a few evil men. Or it could have been a lot more. It certainly makes you look differently at this letter from a visitor of the Grove to one of its members, E.O. Lawrence. I cannot tell you how much I enjoyed your party at the Bohemian Grove. In company with such a distinguished group, maybe I let my hair down with too much abandon. But seeing that all hands were doing likewise, I felt that I would be in good company. Of course, we'll never know what that letter is actually referring to, and we can't assume the worst. Which makes it tricky to evaluate this theory on a scale of 1 to 10, with the 10 being the most believable and 1 being the least. Well, that said, I would give conspiracy theory number 1, that the Bohemian Club is a human-sacrificing pagan cult, a 1 out of 10. Their ceremonies are meant to be silly and a bit tongue-in-cheek, and technically they might be pagan, but I don't think they're probably killing people in the woods. I agree. The hard evidence shows the group worshipping an owl and midsummer while quoting Shakespeare and getting drunk, but not much more. I'm not sure whether it feels sinister or silly. The ceremonies and rituals may feel silly, but the member list certainly isn't. That leads us to conspiracy theory number two. The Bohemian Club is a secret society using their power and influence to try and create a new world order. And we can't discuss that without also discussing conspiracy theory number three. The Bohemian Club members are responsible for the creation of the atomic bomb, and they hold the keys to the destruction of our planet. In many ways, the two theories play into each other. And the evidence to support both feels anything but silly. To begin, let's examine what we really mean when we say New World Order. We covered New World Order conspiracy theories in depth on a previous episode, but for newer listeners, it refers to a secretive elite cabal of powerful and influential people whose goal is to create a totalitarian regime. To put it plainly, they want to rule the world without the world knowing. 
And any society or club would, theoretically, achieve that by strategically placing its members in positions of influence and power through any means necessary. Such an organization wouldn't have loyalty to political parties or ideologies, only to their own advancement. A true New World Order is bigger than Republican and Democrat, liberal and conservative, USA and China. Officially, such an organization feels at odds with the Bohemian Grove's stated purpose. Their motto is, weaving spiders come not here. Allegedly, it means to keep your personal business affairs outside of their woods. But we know that business has, without a doubt, happened inside the Grove. As we discussed last week, the nightly drunken revelry and celebration appear to be in contrast to the afternoon lakeside talks. We know the names of many past talks through paper programs stolen by the employees in the Grove, but only one has ever been witnessed by someone outside of the Bohemian Club. In 1989, Philip Weiss, a reporter for Spy magazine, snuck into the grove and heard a lakeside talk by the commander-in-chief of the United States Strategic Air Command, General John Chain. In Chain's talk, he lobbied for funding for a government project, a B-2 aerial bomber program, a $45 billion program. Whether or not ink is being spilled in the grove, the conversations that happen in the woods apparently have an impact on the outside world. Well, maybe it's not such a coincidence that every Republican president since 1932, with the exception of Donald Trump, has made an appearance at the Grove. Maybe it's exactly how the invisible hand wants it. Coming up... We'll explore whether the Bohemian Club is destroying democracy as we know it, and whether they have the keys to America's nuclear arsenal. Now back to the story. The Bohemian Club has been accused of trying to create a new world order and of helping to develop the atomic bomb. We know that despite their motto, weaving spiders come not here, business has certainly made its way into the Bohemian Grove. Lobbies for government funding, lakeside talks that led to elections for the President of the United States, the figurative leader of the free world. Which begs the question, if business is meant to stay out, why do they host lakeside talks every afternoon, delivered by some of the most powerful and influential men in the country? Politicians, generals, doctors, media moguls, CEOs, scientists, professors, all experts in their fields, all topics that, from the title alone, suggest that their contents would have an enormous impact on our society. We no longer have access to the Lakeside Talk names because they're no longer printed. We believe it's because employees kept stealing them and leaking the information. But we can examine the subjects of the talks that we know happened. Take, for instance, a 2004 lakeside talk called The Coming Virtual Soldier. It was delivered by Roger McCarthy, the chairman and principal engineer for Exponent Incorporated, 
one of the biggest engineering and science consulting firms in the world. The title suggests that McCarthy spoke about virtual tools of war that were being tested in 2004. In 2015, the United States military robotics market was an industry worth more than $250 billion. In 2005, a speech called The Case for Immigration Restriction was delivered by University of Colorado professor and former governor Richard Lamb. We have no idea what was said, but... Years later, the United States government cracked down on Southern Border Patrol. Immigration detention centers became inhospitable prison camps. Many didn't have access to soap, toothpaste, places to clean, or beds. They were forced to sleep on concrete or standing up. A report from the Department of Homeland Security found 900 people stuffed into a space that had a capacity of 125. And there have been a number of allegations of torture. And there are more suspicious lakeside talks we can analyze. In 2011, the founder of Fox News Channel, Rupert Murdoch, delivered a talk named The Future of News. He could have said anything, but... Now we find ourselves trapped in a partisan political discourse dominated by fake news and its impact on the democratic process. Then there are the lakeside talks where we can only imagine what was said. Like the long war of the 21st century in 2004. Well, that could be about any number of wars that have happened or have yet to happen in this century. Or nuclear considerations, the way ahead in 2005. We can't say whether it was for or against nuclear arms, or if it had anything to do with the United States pulling out of the Iran nuclear deal in May 2018. Or dark energy and the runaway universe in 2005. I actually couldn't even begin to guess what that talk could have been about, but I'd love to know. And we only have access to some lakeside talks from some of those years. The Bohemian Club has been hosting annual festivities in the Redwoods since 1901. We've only been able to find names of speeches from fewer than eight of those years. That leaves as many as 1,666 briefings since the Bohemian Club's origin that we know nothing about. We should make it clear that Obviously, education should be celebrated, but the problem isn't the knowledge itself, it's that knowledge is power. And when only a select few individuals have access to that knowledge, it can tip the scales drastically in their favor. Richard Nixon admitted that the Bohemian Club played a role in his path to the White House. In his memoir, he said that the lakeside talk he delivered in the summer of 1967 marked the first milestone on my road to the presidency. In 1995, George Bush Sr. allegedly introduced his son to the Bohemian Club, saying that George W. would make a great president one day. Is it all just a coincidence? Do future presidents really just happen to go to the Grove? Or... Does the Grove make presidents? If the Bohemian Club is a secret society, one that's trying to create a new world order by placing its members into influential positions... They certainly have a good track record. 
and it would make sense why they have a pedigree standard for their members. They wouldn't be the only secret society that places a value on class, social status, and wealth. For similar organizations like the Skull and Bones, secrecy was motivated by elitism. According to sociologist Georg Simmel, confidentiality taps into a primal human need for information. If something is being kept secret, it subconsciously indicates that the information is valuable. So secret keepers are in possession of something worthy of coveting. And there are few secrets bigger than those regarding the most powerful weapon known to man. Despite business not being welcome in the Grove, we know one very important business meeting happened on their grounds. One that led to the Manhattan Project and the creation of the atomic bomb. September 1942. J.R. Oppenheimer, a chemist from the University of California Physics Department, and E.O. Lawrence from the UC Radiation Lab, quietly met in one of the Bohemian Grove's river clubhouses. Both later played critical roles in the development of nuclear weapons. Both appear to have been members of the club. Lawrence went on to invent the cyclotron, which scientists used to enrich uranium, a key ingredient in nuclear weaponry. Oppenheimer became the director of the Los Alamos Laboratory, which designed the actual bombs. Today, the fact that the meeting took place on the club's grounds is allegedly a source of pride, a story passed down from elder members to new inductees. Perhaps because it's the moment the Bohemian Club solidified itself as an organization capable of creating a new world order. Undoubtedly, the Bohemian Club has powerful connections to even more powerful men. That much is indisputable. But as for whether the club is a secret society trying to create a new world order, that's not so clear. I would definitely consider them a secret society. They're a registered social club. If we were to try and debate the difference between a social club and a society, we'd just be splitting hairs. As for secrecy, the Bohemian Club has gone to great lengths in order to remain private and make sure that their secrets don't escape the Grove. We need not look any further than their patron saint, St. John of Nepomuk, for evidence of how much they value secrecy. But then, there's their plan for a new world order. I'm not sure there's enough evidence to prove that aspect of the theory. If they were trying to reshape the world, I'm not sure the group would be so partisan. After all, including liberal Democrats in the club would ensure the group would always hold political power, no matter which way the pendulum swings. Maybe, but it's self-evident that they crave powerful members and guests. There has to be a reason for that. There's a reason for their lakeside talks and for their desire to create strong bonds between powerful men, men that are predominantly white, Republican, and incredibly wealthy. I'd be shocked if conversations in the Grove haven't affected U.S. public policy. Definitely. But I'm more inclined to take anti-Bohemian Grove protester Mary Moore's perspective. When powerful people work together, they become even more powerful. They're wealthy and becoming more so, while the middle class is steadily becoming poorer. 
They control the markets and they make money whichever way the markets fluctuate. Which is to say, they are a secret society that likes power. But there's a difference between influencing the world and trying to run it. Given the group's obvious reach and pedigree, I'd give conspiracy theory number two an eight out of ten. The Bohemian Club might not know exactly what new world order they're working towards. They might not have a specific agenda, but whether they like it or not, they are creating a new world. I agree. They create bonds. When the elite help the elite climb even further up the ladder, it only adds to inequality. It threatens to undermine the democratic process. But I can't fully support the theory as it's commonly presented. I don't think it's premeditated enough. I think if the club were trying to take over the world, Democrats would have been invited too. And they haven't been. For those reasons, I would give conspiracy theory number two a six out of ten. Well, that leaves conspiracy theory number three. They helped create the atomic bomb. That's not really a theory. It's true. They did. And they could use a bomb to create a new world order. Sure, but they don't hold the keys. The President of the United States is the only person with unilateral authority to order the use of nuclear weapons. And as we've said, sitting President Donald Trump has reportedly never been invited to the Grove. Yet. So how do we rate this theory? I think we can't. I'd say we just wait and see what happens when and if they ever get the keys. But... By then, it might be too late. Or maybe we'll find out sooner. Perhaps Mary Moore's protest will drag out all of the secrets of the Bohemian Grove into the light. The devil you know is always better than the devil you don't. After all, they could be the men behind the curtain. Or they could just be a sheep in wolf's clothing. Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. We'll be back Wednesday with a new episode. Until then, remember, the truth isn't always the best story. And the official story isn't always the truth. Conspiracy Theories was created by Max Cutler. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Conspiracy Theories was written by Connor Sampson, with writing assistance by Kate Gallagher and stars Molly Brandenburg and Carter Roy. <laughs>